You could stand at half court and ref better than these guys. We are back with another episode of From the Rafters. Sam and I are here recording on a Wednesday. One game left to the All-Star break for the Celtics, and we're here with Bobby Manning of CLNS Media. How you doing, Bobby? Jack, Sam, good to talk to you guys again. Welcome back. Thanks for joining Fun us. Fun to have you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. But, uh, yeah, Celtics have managed to string together a, a nice few wins here. Uh, after that rough stretch, I think we all hated really started with that Knicks game you know where they got blown out and ever since then things just seemed off Marcus Smart went down and everything kind of went to shit but everything's turning back around what do you think Bobby is the biggest thing that you're seeing in these last few games that's letting the Celtics you know get back to their winning ways well I think the biggest thing the last couple of games is the emphasis on ball movement again the the numbers were pretty staggering in terms of the assist rates and just visually what we were seeing, all the isolation, the lack of passing to the perimeter, and all the role guys just standing around. And I think a couple of things have lent uh, itself well to that. I think there's been a more concerted effort by Kemba Walker in particular to get the ball popping, especially in crunch time. I think his passing has been outstanding, especially in that Sunday game down the stretch, uh, finding Oshley and others on the perimeter. And you know, even Semi, I think, has stepped up his game the last couple of weeks in that, or the last couple of games in that sense. And then, from the depths of the roster, Jeff Teague comes up and does a little something there, ball movement-wise. I don't like his defense at all. I thought his defense was a disaster in a couple of those games, but he's a guy who can get on the ball, get downhill, draw some free throws, and get it moving a little bit, and get Tatum and Brown off the ball. So there's been a lot of talk about Brown and Tatum as lead offensive hand, ball handlers. I know on CLNS, uh, Jeff Goodman said, one of a source he spoke with said that they can't be the leaders of your offense. I don't tend to think that's going to be true long term. I think they're so early in their development as ball handlers that you can't say that right now. But I do think there's limitations, and I do think that is where Jason Tatum's struggling the most right now. I give a little more leeway to Jalen Brown because I think this is really his first year of being one of the you know, top-line ball handlers on this team. But that's that's the key right now. I think the defense has been overall decent. That's what I'd call it. I think they're seventh in points allowed. I think they're 18th in defensive rating. It's not where it needs to be at the end of the year, but it's not the problem right now. The offense was stalling. You would see it like five, six minutes at a time, uh, settling for jumpers, that Dallas road trip. In particular, the offense stalled for long stretches of the Pelicans game, the Mavericks game, and then finally they just got destroyed at the Hawks. And that was like a wake-up call for everybody to get that ball moving and get everybody a little bit more involved. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you mentioned, obviously, this is Brown's first year as a main you know, guy on the team being a playmaker. And I've even thought he's done a better job of getting the ball moving than Tatum has this year. And then you bring up Jeff Teague. I know Sam loves him some Jeff Teague, right? <laughs> well, Jeff Teague, I'm very happy he's playing well. I don't yeah. dislike him as a person, but when he's not playing well, it's so frustrating. And I think I think the method going forward with Jeff Teague should be, and I think I said this on a pregame, you can correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but like 
if he's not playing well, they need to have a short leash with Jeff Teague. Because when he's good, he's been really effective. Opening night against Milwaukee, he was maybe the best guy in the preseason. He was really consistent from three. And going into the season, I remember we were all kind of like, wow, that's a good signing. He's so much better than Wanamaker, blah, blah, blah. And he's really not, <laughs> at least uh, overall, not right now. But yeah. he's been pretty good over these last couple games for sure. It's super nice to have him going to the basket, getting some easy looks. So I'm happy he's playing well. He, he misses a lot of those easy looks, though. And, Very true. And He's gotten two, a little better. Yeah, I mean, he was at rock bottom there. I've never seen a guy have like a 36% three-point shot the way he did and then be shooting thirty under 30% from two. And that's where he was at before he got benched for the couple weeks that he was. And what I do like about him in that sense with the downhill drives and getting to the basket, is he draws a ton of free throws. I looked at before last game, and he's right around 100th in the league, which, you know, isn't a huge accomplishment. But given his rate of play and his role on this team in general, to have a guy who barely ever plays be like a top 100 free throw rate guy is it's pretty good. So he's bringing something at this point, which is way more than he was giving them for the couple of weeks that it looked like he was pretty much just a lost cause on this bench. Now, ultimately, I think he's going to have to go uh, if they need a roster spot for another guy because they're going to have Smart, they're going to have Pritchard, they're going to have Kemba uh, after the All-Star break here. And I don't think there'll be a role for him on the team. But these last couple games, he definitely infused a boost on that bench unit. Yesterday in particular against the Clippers, the bench unit between him, Pritchard, and Rob was what gave them the advantage of that game. Yeah, and I remember when I was particularly mad at Jeff Teague, I did some research, and he ranks, I think, 10th in the league in isolation percentage, which is a little bit ridiculous considering the guys around him are Giannis, Jason Tatum, you know, CJ McCollum and those guys. But obviously it's in a smaller sample size, but that was just, it was really eye-opening to look at, you know, him ranking right next to Tatum in ISO percentage. I, I did, so, Sam, <laughs> you mentioned Wanamaker. It drove me crazy for a while that they gave up Wanamaker. I thought you invest two years in this guy. He was pretty good, especially on the defensive side of the floor. Could knock down some shots. He had a huge game five, I think it was, against Toronto. Uh, and to let him go over a couple million dollars, it seemed like. I know there were rumors that he wasn't thrilled with his role here and wanted to kind of find a new place to go. So maybe there was no chance of keeping him. But I didn't like that at first, especially since we saw Teague last year struggle mightily with Atlanta. The Minnesota fans weren't happy with him. So it was evident what he was going to be bringing here. I, the thinking was, if Kemba's out for two, three months, you're going to need a guy with a little more firepower. But he was just so inconsistent. But at this point, seeing what Wanamaker's done in Golden State, it's been pretty bad. <laughs> I think it's kind of a, I think it's kind of a wash there. Mm-hmm. Either guy, it's just there, it's there was another guy I was hoping they bring in, but he was Atlanta. Yeah. Rondo. Yeah, I thought Rondo would have been a great bench guy for this team, but he uh, was a little was, expensive. Yeah, yeah, they paid him a lot of money. He's getting how much is he making a year? Yeah, oh, wow. seven million. Wow, that is a lot of money. But yeah, I mean, uh, like you mentioned, Bobby, the point guard rotation post All Star break. It once Marcus Smart is back, realistically, it'll look a little better because you'll have him. You'll have Pritchard still, who had a great game that I want to talk about, and Kemba Walker. But yeah, Pritchard obviously covered up for a couple rough performances uh, in the last game against the Clippers, and he has strung together a few good games now. And uh, I saw some people on Twitter like you know, not panicking per se, but getting worried that that shooting wasn't at where it was at the start of the season. But I like Pritchard and I'm even borderline. Like if you're making a trade, do whatever possible to keep Pritchard on the team. So that's, that's my thoughts on Pritchard. Now I wanted yours, Bobby. How do you, what do you think of Pritchard's season so far and his future with the Celtics, I guess? 
I, I think the question right now with him is that he's undoubtedly going to be a good bench player in this league, a guy who can hit hit shots off the catch. I, I found it amazing that he was able to get open off catch-and-shoot threes a couple times when they were doubling Tatum. It didn't seem like a great personnel move to leave him open in that spot, but he had been struggling so much that I think the Clippers said, we'll take that over some of these Tatum drives and uh, isolation opportunities, and that got him going. I think it was it was much like Daniel Tice on Sunday, just got wide-open shots and was able to get going off of those. It's a great way uh, to find your game is to get the most wide-open shots imaginable, and I think over the first 10 or so games of the season, he was one of the better catch-and-shoot guys in the league. Uh, he, his shot was just through the roof, and he was able to get into the lane and position guys for easy shots with great passes, and his floor uh, spacing off the dribble and all that kind of stuff was just so useful for ramping up this offense a little bit because this team moves slow. They really are. They're, they're stagnant. they they kind of just low on offense a little bit sometimes there's not a whole lot of pace to this team when he would come in there there'd be some great energy there'd be some you know downhill intensity and even a little more transition play he just he knew how to get the ball into the zone now since the injury I think it's pretty evident that the injury impacted him I don't see him getting to the rim as much I don't see him getting wherever he wants on the floor with his dribble and his burst I think speed is showing to be a big part of his game so he's going to need all of that but overall, I think he's been a godsend for this team in terms of guard depth, in terms of bench scoring, uh, secondary passing. Those are the three biggest needs on the team coming into this year and what we've seen from them so far. And he has filled all of those and then some. And isn't it surprising? He's a pretty good defender, at yeah. least positionally. Yeah. Like he's in the right space. And he plays hard. Yeah. Can't ask for much more from him. I mean, he makes he makes the big play. He made a couple threes yesterday that were like, I mean, that had to go in. Like, that killed momentum for the Clippers. They're deep, too. I mean, he's so confident out there. It not just makes it so easy for him to, like, get minutes. And I know I, that he believes in himself. I loved him in college, too. I, I, wa I watched a lot of college the last two or three years before this because I was covering it at Syracuse. And, you know, late nights, Oregon would be on against Washington and Arizona with Aiton and some of these other guys out there. They'd have a lot of national TV games. And you saw all the stuff, like the energy, the confidence, and the aggressiveness. Like, he has a, a untypical aggressiveness for a rookie. You see so many rookies over the last few years with the Celtics. They're tentative. They stand in the corner. They don't want to get involved all that much. I think Semi Ojale, as much as anyone, the contrast between him and SMU and the way he's approached his game with the Celtics, it's it's a lot of hands off. And I know they hadn't drafted a point guard in a while. That's a little different where you're going to have a guy who's going to be on the ball and, of course, needs to do something with it. But his assertiveness from game one uh, to be able to get into the lane, take a bunch of shots and take tough shots at that. He hit a floater yesterday. Uh, with I know people were going crazy because Tatum was open to his right or something like that, but it ended up being a key shot in what was a one-possession or two-possession game at that time. Mm -hmm. You're right, Sam. Just the aggression and the confidence right now for a rookie is uh, through the roof. And he'll probably be a rising star, right? I know some of those are trickling out today. No. He didn't get in. Ooh. Did not get in. Come on. Big Who snow. got in? So I saw uh, Wiseman. Who else? I got a list for you. I tweeted out fast PP snub when the list came out because of Shams. That's, so, uh, that's stunning. Yeah, I really uh, thought he had a shot at it. It's uh, the US, So it was U.S. and world roster, obviously. The U.S. roster was Zion, John Morant, LaMelo, Anthony oh, Edwards, 
Tyrese right. Halliburton, Tyler Hero, DeAndre Hunter, Kelton Johnson, Michael Porter Jr., and James Wiseman. So a lot of guys from last year's draft class, which is a little lame. But All right, so I hadn't paid attention to that in a couple of years because I don't know where that shifted. I, I thought they used to do um, rookies versus sophomores. They did. They used to. Yeah, and so did. if that was the format, he would have easily made it. But now I understand why all the sophomores made it from pretty good class a year ago. Mm-hmm. But the world roster is... I mean, not to shit on the world roster, but I mean, <laughs> it, Precious Achua, fine. Denny Abdia, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, RJ Barrett, Facundo Compazzo, Brandon Clark, Lou Dort, Rui Hachimura, Theo Maladon, and Michael Mulder. Like, if, if that was rookies versus sophomores, I feel like Peyton Pritchard would have gotten in. But the, the U.S. roster is just absolutely stacked. And it's unfortunate they're not actually playing the game because the U.S. roster would absolutely dominate the world roster <laughs> this year. It would have been... Uh, entertaining to watch but uh yeah you mentioned Peyton Pritchard the confidence obviously uh Celtics hadn't drafted a point guard in the roster last one was Terry Rozier probably right realistically like Carson Edwards think... Carson yeah and okay Waters. Carson, Carson Raymond last year Edwards but... really, really hasn't proven to be a point though yeah at this level yeah, I think I think uh Pritchard has actually been everything they've really hoped Carson Edwards would be <laughs> and probably like a little bit more I mean, he he is the spark off the bench, but like he also he's really confident with the ball, and he seems to make decent decisions with it. So that's super helpful because they don't have Marcus right now, and it lets them not play Jeff Teague as much when he's not playing well. So it's big. So big uh, Pritchard, help. Rob kind of overshadows Pritchard because there was kind of a quiet call when Kemba was coming back early to start Pritchard and run that unit. What was the unit that was killing it early this year? I think it was Pritchard, Smart. Tatum Brown and Rob like that unit was just a monster toward the beginning of the year and obviously smart went down and the Jays haven't been as great since then but they never got an opportunity to run that unit at a high rate and the calls were to start Rob and start Pritchard just start the best five and that was the best five at the time Uh, so I don't know if that unit is ever going to resurface but I think what we're seeing with the calls for Rob to start and the calls for Pritchard to start that have kind of died down since he struggled a little bit in the month since, is we have that one game against Detroit where he started, and I think he was 1-4. of four. He just kind of got sw- yeah, he got swallowed up. Uh, he just There's been a couple games where he's just kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. I think Brooklyn, the second game of the year, he was pretty rough. There's been a handful of others, and it's mostly been when he's been called upon for big minutes against starting-level players. So that's the question with him. Is he going to be a starter in this league? Because in the opportunities he's gotten, uh, I don't know if it's size. I don't know if it's some of the other point guards just have a better rap on him defensively in those spots. Is he going to be able to thrive in those opportunities? Because right now, with the call for Pritchard and Rob, you got to ask, are they just dominating opposing second units? Are they in the perfect position to succeed role-wise right now? Or are those guys really budding starters in this league uh, who need to be playing more? Because mm-hmm. in in the roles they're in right now, they're exceeding all expectations. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I feel like with the years of experience, Pritchard will improve in that sense. I'm not sure what his floor and ceiling is and everything. But uh, I wanted to bring up the other guy you're mentioning because Robert Williams has been on an absolute tear lately like there's he's all over twitter that's all anyone's talking about he's getting closing minutes now over daniel tice i mean you could argue it's matchup based but he's playing well in the opportunities he's getting so what do you think in a time lord lately bobby the 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 numbers are jarring and the (laughs) visual is jarring as well and he's so fun to watch and the the promise there is through the roof i i just wonder why. There's got to be a reason. I don't think Brad Stevens is dumb or Brad Stevens <laughs> is stubborn. 
or any of the stuff that people seem to think is holding Rob Williams back from that spot. There's a couple of things bouncing around there. The hip injury, which is real. We've talked about that a lot in postgame. I don't know why some people think that's an excuse or like not a concern. I guess Rob said he's not feeling too bad, but I think that's a product of the minutes and limitations that have been on him. I think they're doing a good job managing him health-wise. He's only missed two games this year. Last year, he missed 34, and they missed him a lot during that stretch. So I do think the big reason he's here is because of some health concerns. I know there was a lower body uh, blood flow condition that got revealed in the draft process. So I wonder if health is going to kind of be that thing throughout his career that's going to hold him back from being able to be a 30, 35 minute per night guy in this league. Because production wise, number wise, per 36, and just what we're seeing in front of us impact wise, I don't think there's any question to Brad Stevens that he should be a guy who is a prominent part of their rotation. I just wonder if behind the scenes, medically, they're like, we, we can't push this past 25 minutes a night because that's the only thing I can think of right now. He does make mistakes. He does do frustrating things, but we're seeing less and less of that. And so over the last two, three weeks, as far as his case to play more and his impact on the team, I mean, this team's what? A 113 defensive rating? I mean, he's on the floor. It's 101, 102 which would be best in the league by far. And so you see that, and you see the need that they have on that side of the floor, rim protection. It's unquestionable that if they can get him in a position to close games at the end of this year, if he can hit free throws a little bit better, if he's not fouling, some of these things that you, you can't do in crunch time, uh, he's going to raise the ceiling of this team significantly. And I'll add this, too, before I let you guys hit on it. Uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, we talk about them at the beginning of the show as ball handlers. They need that outlet. They need the lobs. They need the downhill threat. And they need guys who can pull the defense back with that verticality so they can pull up and hit some jumpers there. Tristan Thompson, even Daniels Heist this year with the role adjustment he's gone through, they really haven't been interior threats at the rate and efficiency that uh, two guys like that who run as much pick and roll as they do need. So it's not just, all oh, Rob's amazing. They need to get him involved. I mean, Rob can really help those guys be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think Robert Williams has been nothing short of excellent. Uh, I think anybody that's watched the games can see that. It's not an expert take from me. Um, <laughs> one thing about Brad Stevens, though, is I do feel like he's stubborn, but not in a bad way. I think he really wants to hammer at home that like these guys are earning their starting spot. Like An example is Pritchard, uh, when he was on fire to start the season, and they played the game with like no point guards against Toronto, and he started Tremont Waters instead of Pritchard. I think that was just something he did. Just to like say, all right, like he's he's got to earn this spot. But the health concerns with Robert Williams are definitely real, like you say. He had COVID um, too, and he had COVID. COVID. Yeah. So I, I'm hopeful that he'll uh, eventually get ramped up because I think that's what they're saying the plan is. Right as the season goes on, they're going to ramp him up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And Brad praised him to the moon yesterday. I, I do think you're right, Sam, in the sense that he he's going to try to suppress. And all coaches do this; they suppress the you know, call from the fan base or the call from the media to play some guys who are on the bench or in a certain role that they've decided. You know, they don't want the people outside the locker room to sign the rotations for them. I've seen, Every coach I've covered has had some degree of that. Uh, but the notion that he's seeing this now and he's feeling it and he agrees with people that this is going to get ramped up as time goes on, I don't think he can argue against that. And let's be real, with with more responsibility and more minutes 
there'll probably be more um, of the downside shown there. There'll probably be more struggles. There'll probably be more ups and downs that people have to contend with. If you're talking about his role right now, it's perfect. Like there's, there's really no downside to the way they're using him right now. It's all plus whenever he's out there, they're outscoring opponents by almost 30 points for a hundred in his minutes. So there's an argument to be made. I think that his role right now is perfect. And, you know, Tristan's been real good over the last three weeks. Uh, Tice has been awesome for a month and a half now. So I have, as far as concerns on this team go, the way they're using the center position is like the lowest of the low on the level of concern. They're getting great production there. Mm-hmm. He really is just instant offense when he's on the yeah. floor. Like he's like he's like a free. You him. plug him in, and <laughs> you just you just throw it up, and you're gonna get points. Slam it down. Yeah, it, it's, it's automatic. Great. It's amazing. I love to see it. And I mean, another guy I talked about in this post game conference the other night is Kemba Walker. And I have written my written on my little note sheet here. Kemba Walker, good again? Question uh, mark. Just because he's been playing better. And I think the a lot of Catholic Celtics fans. Jack? Come on. <laughs> they, 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 they jumped the gun a little bit. A lot of fans uh, on Kemba Walker. I know Sam and I uh, were never on the trade Kemba train. Obviously, you got to think about it. I, I was close. Concert. I, I was. <laughs> but well, what are you thinking about Kemba? You know, getting back to that, getting back into form as of late. It definitely raises the ceiling of the team. So you're back to four guys potentially when Smart gets back who can score 20 points on any given night, which was kind of the formula last year. And we just had on the bench being better than last year as well. So I don't necessarily know if the team's going to be in a better spot come playoff time than last year. I do think Hayward in particular is just such a massive loss in that sense that you know even if Kemba is playing at a high level and even if Smart's playing at a high level, they both probably don't even collectively meet his whole impact on the game defensively and offensively. But Kemba in particular, they're so starving for offense on this team that even with a little bit of an efficiency drop that we've seen from him this year, and it was a big efficiency drop to start the year. He was in the 30s <laughs> from the field coming back from this for the first 10 or so games. And teeth. then <laughs> over the last nine, we're talking 44%, which I think is what you want from the field, and 42% from three. That spot up around the screen is there for him. I just wonder if certain aspects of his game are going to be gone. And the one I'm hammering in on is finishing. When he goes to the rim this year, and I think it's been pretty consistent throughout, he gets swallowed up, he gets blocked. Zubac threw down a big block on him late last night. Uh, He can command that spot on the floor. I think he can get in there and pass out of there. But is he going to be able to finish at a consistent rate? Is that step-back two-pointer as good as it once was? I think his efficiency is lagged a little bit from that spot as well. But he's such a great shooter that I think he's going to be able to transition into a role. And people aren't going to like it because you sign a $35 million contract and you're expected to be a star, you're expected to be all NBA, and anything less than that is viewed at that point as a massive disappointment. But I think he's a great enough shooter and scorer that he can transition into this next role. And we've seen a little bit of it, just a glimpse, but a little bit of him getting off the ball more, him getting into more catch-and-shoot and movement opportunities. And I think that's the only way he's going to be able to score at the rim, too. I think his days of being able to get around a pick-and-roll and get downhill and finish past guys with whatever step he's lost, I think we all can agree he's lost at least a step off that all-star start to last year. Uh, that's going to hurt him a little bit in terms of being a top option on this team. So the last two weeks have been encouraging, but they've also been concerning because they've been trying to force it back to him. They've been getting him on the ball a lot more for the thing we talked about with ball movement, um, with ball control. I think when he's on the ball, they turn the ball over a lot less, which has been a problem this year. But it also gets Jalen off the ball. 
And that's something I've been talking about since the early stretches of the season. When all three guys are out there, there's Jalen kind of ended up being the odd one out with ball time. And I think we've seen Jalen slip just a little bit production-wise over the last couple of weeks because of the fact that Kemba's been you know, fed the ball, uh, commanding the offense, and it's left Jalen to be more of a transition and spot-up shooter and catch-and-shoot kind of guy, which I, I thought was a big problem last year in the playoffs. Like Jalen, when he was able to get a ton of shots and get a ton of time on the ball, his upside scoring was like 25, 30, efficient. And even if he took like, you know, what was the highest level of shots? I think he took 30 shots in game six uh, of that Raptors series. And mm-hmm. he wasn't extremely efficient, but for 30 shots, I thought Jalen Brown-wise, it was pretty impressive the efficiency did show at that level of shots. So I feel like Jalen could take anywhere from 15 to 25 shots a game and be extremely efficient with it, 56% from the field, you know, plus 40 from three. And I want that. I mean, that's what drove this team to an 8-3 and three start, right? Uh, so yep. you do have to ask the question, Sam, can Kemba transition to the third man role on this team? It's it's going to be a tough one. I don't think he's ever been in a role like that in his life. And it's hard to argue in this current moment to throw Brown above him because Brown's still so early in his development as a ball handler and facilitator. So they're both at kind of an awkward point in their careers. It kind of hits against each other, I think, a little bit. See, I think, uh, to go with your point of him being the third option, and not right now, I think he's been you know playing fine and they shouldn't do this just yet. But when the time comes, uh, whether they trade for a point guard or whatever, if they eventually decide they want to bring him off the bench as like a six-man kind of deal, I feel like that could work for him at least later. Uh, right now, I, I think he's getting better at not getting blocked at the rim every time. Like when he first got back, it was really bad. Mm-hmm. Like he would get blocked like time and time again. But like lately, I feel like he's starting to figure out a bit. I he did get blocked yesterday, but like I don't remember a whole lot recently where he's getting absolutely like demolished like he was because it was real bad. I think he's slowly getting back up to speed, but I think Jalen not having the ball is an issue. I think that's a good point because like you said, he was crazy good to start the year. It's the reason he's an all-star probably should have been a starter, uh, you know, just because of how efficient he's been, how many points he's been able to score. And, I mean, we saw it yesterday in the first half. He was balling yeah. out. Six to six, and then he finished two of eight. It's weird. Yeah. The second half follow-up was weird last night for Jalen Brown. But uh, overall, I mean, Kemba was able to carry the load. That was good to see. Uh, something else I wanted to talk about is just the two guys that the Celtics apparently just don't like. Or I don't know what's going on. Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith, man. When is Romeo going to play? And why isn't Neesmith playing? Those are two questions I wanted to ask. So if you want to touch briefly on both or just your thoughts on those two guys, Bobby. Well, I'm, I'm going to say this about Langford. I think he's right around the corner. You saw Tice drop a little something on that, that after the All-Star break, they do expect to have both those guys out uh, back, Smart and Langford. So I think they just didn't want to rush it before the break when they do have a six-day span. They integrate him a little bit, probably get him back in the facility and practice toward the end of that break. They haven't had any practice time whatsoever, so I don't know when they would have been uh, integrating him in and getting him rolling, and they've been traveling a ton. So all those different things made it impossible, I think, to get him back and integrate with the team in the first half of this season, especially when they were taking it more slowly with the wrists there. I think they it was more of a major procedure than a lot of people thought, and that you need a little bit more time on the back end, and then 
He's got to get a shot going again, which he's been working on for, I think, three or four weeks now. He's been shooting pregame and doing a little work in that sense. And now it's going to be conditioning. It's going to be all the different things you look at. The good news on conditioning is you are able to run, treadmill, that kind of stuff with a wrist injury. So I don't think it's going to be as big of a comeback as it is for Smart, who is not running much at all as of a few weeks ago. So I think you'll probably see Langford first, and then you'll see Smart out of this break. Smart's going to be slow and steady. Uh, OG Ananobi had a similar injury for Toronto, and he even, after missing 10 games, was still, you know, sitting back-to-backs, that kind of stuff. It's still, I mean, we this season took a dark turn, and it, it's crazy to think about what it could have looked like if Smart's injury went the way it looked at the time. So it's mm-hmm. so fortunate that they're going to be getting him back on. But to hit on Neesmith and Langford, uh, quick on Neesmith, I think he got his seven game run or so of you know 15 20 25 minutes even in certain of those games he get, he got a chance to uh, stretch the floor in crunch time but i i think he was so uninvolved offensively that it sort of negated his impact he he came here to be a four spacer and knock down three point shooter and he wasn't doing much of either of that and so he's credit to him he changed his game a little bit and he just became this all out hustle guy he looked like almost like Jay Crowder when he first got to the Celtics with the approach he was going with there just running all over the place diving on the floor uh, he did he did whatever he could in that <laughs> sense to continue to get those minutes but what they needed from him was a guy to move the ball a little bit uh, knock down shots and rhythm on offense and then eventually they decided that we need ball handlers out here right now we need guys that are going to be able to get some assists and uh, just get the offense rolling a little bit. And his role on that side of the floor wasn't conducive to that. So I think they turned back toward Jeff Teague and Sammy Ojale got a big ramp up in minutes. And uh, some of the guys are able to do that a little bit better. Even Javante Green, uh, who played so well against the Wizards down the stretch, he gets the ball moving a little bit in transition. You know, He's able to get some passing lane steals and stuff like that. His positioning defensively is strong. So... People go nuts because they're not impressed by Green. They're not impressed by uh, Ojale in particular. Ojale just has the disdain from this fan base in a way that I can't comprehend. <laughs> like he, he, He's Ojale. He is what he is. He's doing what yeah. he can. Uh, so I don't think it's crazy to think that those guys – I mean, Ojale is a four-year veteran at this point. Uh, Green is like in his late 20s of playing professional basketball. For them to be miles and miles ahead of a guy who got drafted two, three months ago – Shouldn't be all that surprising to people. I mean, Neesmith, I think what shocks people is he was supposed to be ready to go right away. But the fact that a guy who was, uh, you know, just 21 coming in and didn't play a ton as a junior, those kind of things and his quick entry into this league make me a little more willing to wait and see on him. You know, like, it, it is disappointing. I thought, too, he was going to be a guy who could play and maybe start potentially right away given the role he's going to fill. But it didn't work, and they gave him his chance, and that's all you can ask. Everyone was just looking to give him a chance, and he got about seven games in a row. And listen, you can't argue with the results the last three games. He hasn't played, and they've thrived, and the offense has been better, and they've won. Mm-hmm. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Sam, what are you thinking of Neesmith or Romeo? I think, or... I think Neesmith has been not what we expected, like you say. Uh, yeah. You know, we thought he was going to be the shooter that Sadiq Bey is or was against the Celtics <laughs> that one game. Um, but, yeah, like he hasn't been knocking down his threes. I'm not super worried about that, though, because his, his form looks sweet. You know, he has a really good motion. Looks like he's capable of knocking down shots. 
And his hustle has been uh, like found money almost. So when he eventually does figure out how to be an impact on offense, maybe next year, maybe later in the season, depending on how injuries go or whatever, uh, he's going to be someone out there that's going to be a real difference maker on both ends of the ball because of his Marcus Smart-like ragdolling, diving after the <laughs> balls. Like He wants to make the best impact he can, even if he's not scoring. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I wrote about Sadiq Bay and Desmond Bain, so it's a painful. Desmond Bain, who they about. drafted, got rid of. <laughs> yeah, Desmond Bain and Sadiq Bain. Those ones are so well. hard, though. Those ones are hard because those guys get opportunity that yeah. just isn't available in Boston. And and I know Bain's been amazing, and Bay has killed the Celtics. I mean, his, his production's <laughs> been kind of average otherwise. We, we have these guys. We know about them. That just come out and kill the Celtics. Who was oh, it yeah. a few weeks ago? Jalen Brunson on the Mavericks had the best game of his oh, career against killers. them. So that's going to be a guy yeah. to watch. Middleton. Sadiq Bay is going to be the... your guy. <laughs> Pain. It's just, it's it's painful to watch. But uh, speaking Zubach of 48. yesterday, Reggie Jackson. He had <laughs> no business Jackson. playing good yesterday. Reggie Jackson. So I uh, couldn't believe what he did yesterday. Oh, <laughs> Lord. I, I came into that game saying they don't really have a facilitator, a point guard in that sense, without Kawhi out there. And then he comes out and has the game he did, movement-wise and shooting-wise. It's unreal. I, I wonder what goes into that. It's probably something they do defensively a little bit that can let, you know, kind of the fourth or fifth option on the floor break free or something like that. Yeah. The, the guy for me was I, I Ish Smith last year. That was Ish Smith, another one. I was saying, oh. uh, I think to Jack and the guy who's just here, I was like, yeah, like they didn't have Kawhi, but Reggie Jackson had no business playing like that. <laughs> so I say it evens out. Yeah, yeah. it was ridiculous. But uh, you mentioned Evan Fournier. That's a guy thrown around in the trade rumors for the Celtics. So the last thing I wanted to touch on before we let you go here is just obviously trades. You got to bring it up. Danny Ainge said, you know, this team's not good enough at one point. Everyone's begging him to make a deal with that TPE. What do you see happening or what do you want to happen in terms of trades for the Celtics this season or just with the TP in general? Yeah, I hope the approach isn't tax-based. I know this year is important in a tax sense that you, you get out of it this year and then you're able to avoid the repeater for a couple of years. And with Tatum's extension kicking in, that throws you into the tax without uh, any question. So They'll have no choice in the years to come, so they would rather avoid it this year. They have a decent amount of room under it because Hayward's money coming off the books uh, obviously cleared a ton of space. Uh, so they have some room to wiggle there. I'd say it's somewhere between 19 and $20 million of that TP that they could bring in. And then there's a hard cap on top of that. So there's a hard limit in terms of what they can bring in. So they'd have to get creative with some of the big stuff that we've had our eyes on. Vucevic. You know, they couldn't eat that $28 million outright. I don't think they have a ton of players that they could send back to Orlando that would be all that enticing. So, like, who's a third team that they could wrote uh, assets to and try to get something in Orlando for Vucevic? I love the Vucevic idea because I think you look at that TP and you say, what's the best player available right now in all of NBA who's attainable? Because effectively, this $28 million is the last chance to sign a player uh, as a free agent, I know they can't use it on a free agent, but if you're able to eat a trade uh, acquisition with that money, that's effectively a signing. So this team had interest in Vucevic a couple years ago. Uh, obviously, Kemba came instead, but now you could possibly team up all four of those guys. Uh, they were going to pay Hayward anyway, something to that effect. So Vucevic's the best available guy of 
all of the players we've thrown around, Harrison Barnes, uh, John Collins, Thad Young, certainly. So that one's a no-brainer to me if you can get it done. Orlando's fallen off the map quite a bit. Uh, he's expensive for years to come, so maybe you can take advantage of that with Orlando getting a little cheap there, possibly just wanting to strip things down in years to come. I do like Aaron Gordon from there, too. I think he lines up more with what the team wants to play like and what they want to be, but there's uncertainty with him. His offense has not been good, uh, particularly from three to start his career. He's injured a lot, um, and he is right now, so they'd have to wait for him to come back. Maybe that makes the price a little more palatable for Boston. It would certainly be an easier trade to pull off. I'm just saying with either of those guys, you don't want to throw Smart in there. Now, Mm -hmm. Smart's going to be the interesting one when it comes to trades this year. He's expiring at the end of next season, which has been talked about a ton. Could you extend him? Is it going to have to go to unrestricted free agency? Is there money for him long term here? And do you even want to commit over $20 million a year to him at the next stage of his career? I know he's still 26, but um, you know how much rising does he still have to do? You know, when's he going to start declining physically with the style in which he plays? It's all questions you have to ask. And if you want to get great value for him, and he obviously is a very valuable player, you might want to look at different options right now to possibly get the most that you possibly could and set yourself up for many different years to come. There's a lot of different options right now, but to get back to it, it does sound like they're gearing up to do something a little smaller. Um, And Thad Young is that name that's been thrown around. I don't think a move like that gets the needle of the team in any mm-hmm. interesting direction, like uh, he'd help. He would certainly be a reliable player at the four, which is where they need some help. But I don't know. Like I, I think they're looking at a cu- either a couple of different players being needed right now, point guard and wing, or taking advantage of that TP this year and some of the players that they could acquire through it. Luckily, Sacramento has lost a ton recently, so that brings up the Barnes option. This is a big conversation, and there's a debate between waiting, which is what Danny Ainge and Wick are seen to be pushing right now because the options are great in the offseason. But you lose Tice, the ability to trade him at that point. You lose uh, the advantage of having cap space, per se, over other teams out there. Teams will have cap space in the offseason that they can use to acquire players through trades or free agents, which the Celtics will obviously be looking at, too, at that time. And then there's other things. Smart will be expiring at that point. He'll be a little less valuable in that sense if you want to look at moving him at that point. And they just need so much now. I watch on Sunday, and I know they're hurt, and there's all this talk of the starters have only played 58 minutes together. But you're always going to have an injury come playoff time. And if any injury on this team is going to lead to Green starting, to Ojale starting, (laughs) those guys being out there in crunch time, double big, just all the stuff we've had to live with this year. Like, this team came into the year missing a player. They decided to kick the can down the road on Hayward and that they were going to address it during the season. So they could address it with a minor move, but that wouldn't taste all that good if we think they had the opportunity to add some of the things from Indiana that, you know, Mm -hmm. Zach Lowe and others still seem pretty adamant that they possibly could have. So if they don't do anything or they do something very minor this year, that will bring me back to that. And I wasn't a huge fan of the Turner-McDermott package that was thrown around at the time, but it's looking pretty good right now given the (laughs) team's needs and their asset base. And, oh, here's the other thing, too. If you make a trade now, you can you know funnel those assets into a trade down the road, whether that's Vucevic or whether that's John Collins, who I frankly seem to like a lot, especially given how much Atlanta 
seems to want to get rid of him or needs to get rid of him because they're not going to pay him. And then he's with the Celtics for four to five years. So that's a name that I've really enjoyed. I don't know how you guys feel about Vucevic. I, I, I do agree with some of the concerns people have out there about him and defense and fit and post-ups and all that stuff and how that would work out here. I just think you have to go best player at that spot. And he is an all-star and he's putting up monster numbers. And uh, this offense would fit him so well. Mm-hmm. Sam, I know you've had some thoughts. You go ahead. All right. Go ahead. Um, let's see. I, I was really uh, enjoying the uh, aspect of your, your uh, take where we don't want to give up things, all right? I'm very – we won't call it <laughs> Sam, cheap. We'll call Sam it thrifty. Hate, you know, you're I cheap, hate, Sam. You're I hate you're giving things. Uh, but one one person I'm surprised you didn't mention probably because it's not realistic, but I know you're a big Al Horford guy. Uh, what do you what do you think of that? Because he's on a team that's not particularly trying to win. He's playing probably decent, cheap. probably cheap, knows all the guys here, mentored at Robert Williams. Cheap to trade for, not to pay. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of money. But... Oh, he doesn't fit, yeah, right? That, he does in fit your... in the TPA. No, no, no. But like he, the he fit. 20... Oh, yeah, yeah. The hard cap. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a hard cap issue there. There's a question of how much he's got left. I know it goes way down in the third year, but still, that's what you're going to go into the tax for. That's what you're going to use all of this opportunity that they have in front of you right now. I Listen, I would love Horford on the Celtics <laughs> right now. I wish they re-signed him at the time. I mean, that would have been the uh, mm-hmm. great thing to do then. You don't get Kemba or whatever, but you would have been able to keep Roger. I think that would have been ideal at that moment in time, but now it's a different time for Horford. It's a different time for the Celtics. The needs are different. I don't know if he moves the needle enough past Thompson, Rob, and Tice to completely funnel that opportunity and then give up some pieces on top of it uh, to make him fit salary wise. It's, you know, you hate to have to analyze the game strictly through that lens, but sometimes it does just become a numbers game and the numbers, thanks to Philly, are just way off with Horford. So I think he's got <laughs> something to, to give, Philly. but it's not, a, yeah, it's not enough to, it's not enough to completely dump the TP on him. And that's what it would require effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Vucevic thing you brought up is, I mean, I've heard it, but you had probably the best argument i think he he probably is the best thing available and he probably isn't super expensive in terms of i mean they're not particularly trying to win and you probably could find a third team to give them something worth them giving him up for so so i I have a couple different ideas there i've talked to people on the magic side who are adamant that smart would have to be involved i think you're losing or you're not gaining enough on the wings to give up smart there unless they'd be sending back one of their wings, like a Ross or something like that. At that point, maybe you'd think about Smart a little bit. But ideally, I think you would line up Bucevic, uh, Smart, Tatum, Brown, uh, like that, into the future, and then with Kemba at the point guard. So what would it cost? I, I'm all out on the picks. Like if, if Orlando wants four first-rounders or five, like the holiday trade— I mean, I'm kind of at the point with the Celtics where it's like there's no roster spots for any more rookies. The the development curve on those guys are so steep. It's so hard to pick guys where they're selecting in the draft. Just send them all over. I know it's a risk, but right now they're at a pretty important moment in Tatum and Brown's career where mm-hmm. they look ready to win and they need help. So if you're able to get another all-star in here and have four if Kemba's healthy, like the argument's pretty strong to just send 
four or five first instead of players who can help you right now like smart so that's my thinking on Vucevic I don't know how they would receive that there's always the argument that those picks aren't that great but if you send a ton I think you can always entice a team like Orlando that's kind of in a rebuilding stage so I think those picks are going to go a longer way with Orlando than they would with Atlanta uh, in a call-in situation or uh, you know Sacramento I don't Barnes is going to be pretty cheap at this point, I think. Like, they've sunk in a way that I think that's going to be a pretty attainable piece. And I wouldn't be mad about that one because he does fit a need. It's just he'd yep. take 22 out of that TP. Mm-hmm. So you lose a ton of the, uh, you know, higher level potential that you want to see there. So, again, those would kind of be my two top team uh, ideas. My other one was Collins. I think there's a lot of questions about, about, yeah. I think there's enough questions about his game the competition is going to be so high since he only makes $5 million. And I, I can't see any way you do that one without Smart. And so I think there's a good case that you could flip Smart for him and then have Collins five years compared to Smart for one. I think that's a good long-term move for this team. But in the short term, does Collins make you better than Smart? That's a question you have to ask this year. That Again, I think trades this year are going to be pretty heavily based on improving you this year. And... I don't think that cuts it. There's a lot of teams around the league that want Collins, that want to pay him, and um, I think the Celtics are probably going to be spaced out of that one a little bit. And plus, there's real concerns about his defense, and can he play center? I don't think so. I've, I watched a lot of Hawks games last so. year when he played center, and it didn't go well. It's just so interesting Jack, to see. Next. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to see what Danny is going to do. Obviously, he's... He has a reputation, obviously, going back to the Pacers thing, of always trying to get the absolute best deal and not settling for anything less, which I think at this point, if you get fleeced a little bit, but you still get the talent, like, just make it happen, right? Like, obviously, Tatum and Brown are still young, but like you said, Bobby, it's a very important point in their career, and you don't want them getting mad. So you want the most amount of talent around them as possible. Vucevic is, what, almost 30, 30 at this point, but regardless. 31. Yeah, so he's an all-star this year. He was an all-star two years ago. His offensive game right now looks like it's the best it's ever been. You put that offense next to those two guys, regardless of, you know, if you're taking a little bit of hit on the defensive side. I know the defense this year hasn't been great regardless. But like you said, you're getting the best player available right now to pair with Tatum and Brown. You have three all-stars, four when Kemba's fully healthy, and then Marcus Smart, who's one of the best bench guys in the NBA. He's very unique. He can score when he needs to. And then you plug in the rest of those bench guys who've played a solid role. Tice, Robert Williams, you know, um, Shemi Ojale has been okay. So like you said, I think he's probably the best option. Harrison Barnes is solid too. And then Tad Young's maybe like a safety valve at this point, which realistically is probably knowing Danny what's going to end up happening, unfortunately. But, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he's, he's the cheap brand He's, he's like the 12 knockout of the TP, too. So then you keep a, a decent amount of it. And then uh, Thad Young would be non-guaranteed at that point. So you could uh, you could put his money in there and another team could cut him. So that does seem to end up being the realistic one. The other thing I like about Vucevic that I didn't mention is if you're able to unload Thompson and Tice and that kind of deal, that gets us to what we want with Rob. And who knows? Orlando might be dead set on getting Rob out of that. I think that's a really tough call at that moment in time. Do you part with Rob for Vucevic? I don't know. I, I was kind of hard-pressed to say yes at that point. Uh, but if you can line up Vucevic and Rob as your only centers, that's a pretty good offense-defense combo. And, you know, with Vucevic spacing, you can maybe even play them a little bit together at that point. And I, I think that opens up the Rob 
possibilities in a way that a lot of people want to see. Again, I, I would temper your expectations because I think they're held down by this hard cap thing a little bit and they're making excuses with that. And I, I think Ainge views the offseason ideologically as a place where there's a lot more opportunity. And they're going to have to be aggressive if they want to make something happen this year. It's a buyer's market. Uh, 20 teams are making the playoffs. It's going to be really hard to pull off a trade in season, but I think they're in a place where if they get a real aggressive with that TP and some of the assets that they have, they, they do have a leg up in that sense, particularly on Vucevic. Like how many teams can match $28 million, uh, as easily as Boston can right now? There aren't a lot. So mm-hmm. he remains my tier one. I like the Collins possibility. I'd be happy with Barnes, but I think they need something significant to push this team closer to Brooklyn, uh, to Milwaukee, to those top tier teams in East Philly, you know, and Vucevic, you know, what does he have against all those teams? He's seven feet. So maybe he can stand in with him, be a little bit than what they have now. Mm. Uh, he's, he's killed the Bucks in the past. Uh, he has a great career uh, record against the Bucks in Orlando. And then uh, Brooklyn's pretty vulnerable inside. So you could use that to hit them a little bit. Like that's another thing I like about Vucevic. So I think there's just a lot of context around Vucevic right now that even though there's, questions about that cost and his age and defense and all that stuff Celtics have money to spend he's available uh, he's killing it right now and he, he fills kind of a position of need on the team a little bit right now or a place where they can upgrade significantly so this is where they're at they need to be aggressive they need to spend a lot of money and that's the only way they're going to be able to pull things off because those draft picks are gone. They don't have a lot of player assets. They're going to have to do this a little bit of a different way than I think Ainge wants to do it. So that's the question. Uh, is he going to be able to adjust his ways a little bit? It's going to be so crucial with this team for him to do it and for him to budge a little bit on price. Mm-hmm. And realistically, like you said, Orlando probably wants to rebuild. You throw them Tice contract expiring. You throw them you know, Romeo or Neesmith, a young asset, and then all those picks that gets them off that huge contract like you said because boston can just eat it gives them some youth gives them a bunch of picks for the future they can build around isaac and fultz and cole anthony and all those guys so uh, i feel like boston's probably the best place they got to dump vucevic if they're trying to get off his salary bobby what do you think the best option he's uh, danny is thinking about in the offseason what do you think he's thinking towards because he's mentioned that you're absolutely right what do you think he's got his eye on yeah Any that's wh- that's what's hard for me to read the dreams, Beal. Uh, I have this thing flowing around in my head, and there is a real case that if Beal ever got uncomfortable in this position, Boston, because of Tatum, would be a place that he would push hard for. And so that's tricky because right now he fits into the TP over the offseason as two-year extension kicks in, and then he's 34. So you could still match it, but it becomes way harder at that point. Like You'd have to funnel Kemba somewhere and just make all sorts of difficult things happen. And he can do it. I mean, the way Harden got traded to Brooklyn is a pretty good example of how convoluted this can get to, you know, kick assets in a bunch of different directions and get a guy where you want to go. You know, you can always line things up in that sense. And Mike Zarin's very well positioned to do that. But I think, like, now would be the time to do Beal just because of the TP advantage they have. But Beal's not going anywhere this year. I think that Washington team's going to stay in the playoff race. They've been playing so well lately, and he's so comfortable there. I think he just likes living in Washington and, you know, he's trying to be patient with the team, which I don't see a lot of upside for Washington, but he does. And I guess it's a little bit of a breath of fresh air for a star. I mean, he... He's broken the record this year for 40-point games with losses. I think it's 11 now at this point. So Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what he's holding out for. 
on either end. I don't know what Beal's holding out for. I don't know what Ainge is holding out for because honestly, there aren't a lot of big trade assets coming uh, down the road that the Celtics would be well positioned to acquire at that point. And yeah. I, I just think there's a lot. I think you lose a lot of opportunity in when you wait. Like during the season, there's much less competition for trades and um, assets in general than there's during the offseason where the draft starts pushing you, then all of a sudden contracts aren't available, and then I think fall time, probably around September, the CP is going to expire. So at that Mm -hmm. point, the worst thing in the world that could happen is this team losing it. Oh, don't even bring that up. That, that I can't Im- like I can't imagine it. That's why it's painful. But uh, he he's Danny's got to do something with it. There's no way. All of my being needs to believe that Danny's going to do something with the TP. But uh, but yeah, I mean that's all the stuff I wanted to bring up, Sam. I don't know if you had anything else. I know Bobby. You got- I, I do have one question. Just Alrighty. To, just quick. What what's the empty garden been like, Bobby? I know you've gotten to go oh, over yeah. there a couple times. That's a good question. It's interesting. So it's been pretty renovated. So it's it's interesting in its sense that all this new stuff in there, like the lounge on the top floor and the black seats, I think those are a little bit older, the new black seats and some of the other stuff in there. But it's it's got a new fresh feel to it, and it's just so empty that uh, it's it's weird that no one's taking advantage of those things. That's That's kind of what struck me on the inside. But I've seen the stands empty on tv and you get that experience through watching the game so that doesn't strike you all that much but man causeway street like you just you don't have a feel for it being a game night and there being nothing going on around the stadium at all like just walking through the empty streets pre-game at five o'clock on a game day is unimaginable and then going into north station which is usually jammed with people trying to get up the stairs there to get in it's it's like two or three people just waiting for a train and you go upstairs and, you know, probably like 15 media upstairs and there's like a couple dozen Celtics officials in the stands and that's it. Uh, so I I kind of love being up on the top level there on the ninth floor because a lot of sound hits you. It rises up and you do hear a lot of things. And with the empty stadium, you know, you hear stuff being called up from the bench. You hear players yelling on the floor. And if it's quiet enough, you can hear individual players saying things. That's a cool experience to me. You know, I always love covering games at Syracuse where you sat on the baseline. So, like, even though there were fans in the stands, you could hear a lot of stuff that was going on. Uh, To have no one in TD Garden, even though you're a little further away, you you get that ear for the action, which I love as a reporter, you know, to be able to hear some of those things and observe those things. Uh, So that's, um, that's what sticks out to me, the surrounding of the Garden and just that game day feel. And then, you know, leaving at 11 o'clock midnight, just nobody in the entire neighborhood like it's just completely it's like a ghost town around there it's unreal so it's going to be good at the end of the month to get some fans back in there and watching the Knicks and Nets the last couple games the Knicks in particular who have been awesome this year even the 3,000 helps like going from zero to 3,000 is a substantial enough jump to make a difference even though it's you know not a very good percentage of the stadium the floor right now at zero is just like absolutely nothing it's just silent in there. And, man, on Sunday, to think about what the reaction of the crowd would have been when Beal fell out of bounds and then Tatum hits that game winner, I feel like there's been about 10 to 12 moments in the Garden this year that would have been absolute insanity uh, in the crowd reacting. 
and it's just been nothing, which is huge opportunity. You think of Tatum's game winner on opening night. Uh, you think of just a bunch of different moments throughout this year where it's a bunch like, of Robert wow, Williams the- plays would have took yeah. that off. <laughs> All that. Pritchard, the fans will be going nuts about him. So it's good that they'll get that back soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Miss being a garden. The, the whole surrounding area thing sounds the weirdest to me. You know, walking up and just. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that is strange because it's always busy. You've got my man Black Swan out there trying to give out his mixtape. <laughs> You've got people uh, packed into halftime pizza. It is it is a absolute um, amb- ambience around the yeah, garden all yeah. the time. There's none. So weird. So weird. But uh, yeah, with that, we'll, we'll let you go here, Bobby. Appreciate you stopping by. Uh, you guys can follow Bobby at Real Bob Manning on Twitter. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, what about um, my dog's going crazy now? <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> I want to shout out my piece. Uh, I wrote about Tatum versus Beal through the eyes of Drew Hanlon, and he <clears throat> gave some interesting insight on Tatum's struggles recently. Uh, so if you want to go check that out on clnsmedia.com, it's up on the front page. And uh, we talked a little bit about Tatum's comeback from COVID and, uh, you know, him and Beal's relationship, which I know a lot of people are interested in. So it's a good interview. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Bobby. Thanks. Shout out Bobby's dog as well, joining us on the show. Uh, and yeah, uh, you guys can follow us at Bannertown USA. Uh, follow Bobby at Real Bob Manning on Twitter and CLS, CLNS Media. Check out all his stuff, including that piece. Uh, and with that, Sam, wrap us up. Yeah. Follow the guys. Uh, Big thanks to Bobby again for coming on and CLNS. We've had a lot of their uh, personnel on. Always a great time. Um, give Jack a follow at NBA. Follow Bannertown if you don't already. Um, if you're listening, then watch the YouTube video. If you're watching, then listen on Spotify. Um, thanks a whole lot. Uh, that's our show for today. Bye.